Hi, this is Alan Guthrie. Um, I'm co-founder of Blasted Heath. And you're listening to Booked. These guys are fucking great. Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Before we start talking about the book we're viewing for tonight, I want to take a second and welcome our guest for this evening. Sean P. Ferguson is joining us. Sean, thanks for coming back on to Booked. Thanks for having me once again. And may I say, gentlemen, 100 episodes, an outstanding accomplishment. Congratulations. Keep up the good work. Hip, hip, hooray. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, Sean. Tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about the book Swallowing a Donkey's Eye by Paul Tremblay. A little bit about Paul. Uh, He's the author of The Little Sleep and No Sleep Till Wonderland. He's a three-time nominee of the Bram Stoker Award and has sold over 50 short stories to markets such as Razor Magazine, Weird Tales, Last Pentacle of the Sun, Writings in Support of the West Memphis Three, uh, and Best American Fantasy Three. He is the author of the short speculative fiction collection, Compositions for the Young and Old, and the forthcoming In the Meantime, and the novellas. Um, that's been out. So, okay. So we have a dated author profile here. Yes, um, <laughs> I pulled this off of Amazon, so apologies there. Um, he's also the author of novellas City Pier, Above and Below, The Harlequin, and The Train. He served as fiction editor on of Shizine and as co-editor of Fantasy Magazine and was also the co-editor of the Fantasy Bandersnatch and Phantom Anthologies. Paul is currently an advisor for the Shirley Jackson Awards as well. Hey, Rob, did you, did you say you trimmed that down a little bit from what was on Amazon? <laughs> that, uh, I took an entire paragraph right. off of there. So uh, anybody who... Uh, <laughs> hasn't read about it yet i did this wonderful little piece over at manarchy magazine called uh, uh it was an open letter to authors your author bio probably sucks and uh anybody who wants to hear what i have to think about author bios can head over to manarchy magazine and check that article out uh it's uh it's it's words of i'm giving i'm giving him pearls i'm giving you guys pearls here rob's giving pearls but he's not making a whole lot of friends with that article i think yeah uh, <laughs> honestly though i probably could have trimmed out at least three more paragraphs from the article oh boom one more one more comment on that i actually got several uh kind of sheepish admissions from people saying that they 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 know that their author bio isn't that great so i think i'm i'm making changes in the world oh yeah and trust me i i'm sure that i am one of them but um fuck yourself Noted. <laughs> Livius, tell us about our book. <laughs> All right. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Livius is feeling a little under the weather tonight. And since we have a guest on, I'm making Sean do all the heavy work on this one. So Sean is going to uh, give you the synopsis uh, for swallowing a donkey's eye from Amazon. Heavy work. What are you trying to say? I'm just saying there's a lot of big words in it. That's all. You call me fat? It was a shot right across the bow there, Sean. Shh. All right. Anyway. Uh, join Farm today. It's only six years of your life. Farm is the mega conglomerate food supplier for city, populated with rapidly bureaucratic superiors, antagonistic and sexually deviant tour guides dressed in chicken and duck suits. 
and farm animals illegally engineered for silence. City is sprawling, technocratic, and rests hundreds of feet above the coastline on the creaking shoulders of a giant wooden pier. When the narrator's single mother, whom he left behind in city, falls out of contact, he fears the worst. His mother is homeless and subsequently to be deported under city to the pier. On his desperate search to find his mother, he encounters eco terrorists wearing plush animal suits. An election that hangs in the balance as the city's all-powerful mayor is infatuated with magic refrigerators and outlaw campaigns, and a wise-cracking, oversexed priest who may or may not have ESP, but who is most certainly his deadbeat dad. <gasps> Whether rebelling against the regimented and ridiculous nature of farm life, exploring the all-too-familiar and consumer-obsessed world of city, experiencing the all-too-real suffering of the homeless in peer, or confronting the secrets of his own childhood— Swallowing a donkey's eyes, narrator is a hilarious, neurotic, and rage-filled. Get that word. Quixote. Searching for his mother, his own dignity, and the meaning of humanity. That's the heavy lifting. That was a lot so, right there. I've always said I could handle a mouthful. <laughs> no brevity in that uh, uh, synopsis, but I mean, it really tells a lot about the story. Um, the one thing about that synopsis that I think speaks volumes to the the, the text we're going to be talking about this evening is uh, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, a lot of crazy stuff going on, weird concepts, but oddly simplistic. Like a lot of very complex things going on, but it, like all very like dressed up in very simplistic ways. If that makes sense. So, who wants to take a crack at talking about something, some basics of the story? I'd love to. Yes. Basically, it's the dystopian future that Rob and I have fallen uh, madly in love with over, over the last few months um, that we're returning to. Uh, indentured servitude to farm, which is city-owned, is a place where people can go and, um, and, and do just that, just become servants for a period of six years at a time where they're, they're paid for that, but they're also fed and clothed and stuff. And that's where our, uh, our protagonist finds himself uh, in the beginning of this book. But it's also a Disney-like um, theme park almost where there's like tours for families to come and see what a farm is supposed to look like according to this dystopian government. Yeah, so it's really like – it's obvious very early on that this is a very class-based world that they live in. There's the rich people who live in city who kind of get everything, and then there's the poor people who – um, usually they'll sign up with farm, which kind of feels like the military almost where you sign a part of your life away in exchange for being able to make a living because, and they usually go to farm because they're afraid of becoming homeless and getting, uh, deported to the pier, which is where all the, like, essentially it's a giant garbage dump where all the poor people end up and, um, and yeah, basically becoming outlaws. So they join up with farm to kind of give themselves some sort of assurance that they're going to have a life that they can sustain. Um, and it's almost, it, to me at least, it felt like people in the United States that are poor will go to the military service because it's an option for them to kind of provide for their future. So we joined the story in progress halfway into our uh, our narrator's 10-year, six-year stint at, uh, at farm, whereupon he has reason to believe that his mother, um, that something has happened to her either. She is uh, 
either she's gone missing or she's been deported to become homeless and then deported to pier. And that's really where the story uh, kind of picks up. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, that's where the story. So the basic overall thing of the story throughout the, the main thread is just uh, our narrator looking for his mother, trying to find out what happened to her. And, and it's tough because he can't leave farm. Um, so he, you know, he'll have to escape and then go to city and try not to get arrested and all this. So it's like this kind of adventure. It feels like a sprawling adventure. It feels like it's so far away. Like his goal is so far away. Uh, I was going somewhere with that. So that's kind of the thread throughout the story. And then it's just kind of mixed in with, um, all these, these politics gets caught up in a mayoral election. Uh, um, and so there, you just see all the inner workings of the government of city and, you know, the the crazy politics of all that. So lots of stuff going on. It's a weird, it's a kind of a weird story. So to, to be fair um, to the synopsis and the story, uh, everything that we've talked about story-wise up until this point is done in a pretty, I think wacky kind of over the top satirical kind of way, very tongue in cheek in most cases, including as Rob just mentioned, the, uh, this, uh, this guy who, you know, had to indenture himself to, to make money to support himself and his mother, you know, becomes a, a candidate for mayor. And we don't want to go into too much, you know, the details of the actual story. But up until they hear that this story is, is pretty it's cracked. It, it's it's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it almost had the same feeling like um, when Alice goes down the hole, like you had these these characters and they're saying and doing these over the top outlandish things and the narrator just kind of accepts it as the norm almost for instance the girl that he meets at the party i won't <laughs> go into what it is that she does but she does and threatens to do some pretty crazy stuff and the narrator's like oh well i guess that's gonna happen later so that is kind of like what we have to look forward to i guess is it just me or i swear sean just avoided talking about bodily fluids you know our, our little boys growing up <laughs> I'll, uh... he's turned over a new leaf <laughs> um i'll agree with that it seemed like um and and here's here's my take on that i think that um the way that he sets up this society, it's so oppressive to, to certain classes of people that, um, you, you get into this mode of just taking whatever you're given. And, and, and so, um, obviously he's taking that from, you know, uh, places of authority, but then I think you just get into this mode where you just kind of take it from whatever happens that comes at you in life. You just get, you're just, you're defaulted to just accepting whatever it is. So, that's kind of the feel I got from it. Our uh, our narrator leaves farm at a certain point, and as he uh, makes his way to city, um, which is actually what it's called, city, um, much like farm is just farm, and then there's uh, places are called by their by their definition as a proper noun. Is that does that sound right? Sure. Okay. Uh, he's reunited with his father, who left. Um, who left our narrator and his mother when uh, he was just barely a teenager, I think, maybe even a little younger than that. I think it said he was 12. Yeah, I'm going to say 12. Okay. Um, so he, he runs into his father while, while he's on his, his quest to find his mother, and uh, his father is now a, a priest. 
who may ESP. have ESP. Yeah. <laughs> Which may have been the funniest thing in the whole goddamn book was his, his dad's maybe ESP. I liked it because at the beginning it sounded like the dad just claimed to have ESP, but as the book goes on, mm-hmm. it like becomes less and less vague whether he does or not. And so um, seeing that kind of slow progression, and again, that might just be like uh, the narrator's uh, perception of that ESP, but it was nice to see that kind of slowly change throughout the book that how he felt about that ESP and stuff. But it was, it, it made for some really good funny moments where, you know, he was thinking something and then, you know, whether it was coincidence or ESP, the father had some sort of on point reaction to it. I think everybody knows that person and, and what our narrator's talking about, at least in his youth, is, you know, something terrible would happen. His father would go, I, I knew that was going to happen, not necessarily in the ESP way. I guess you could interpret it that way. But I mean, I've known people who constantly, you know, knew what a negative outcome was going to be before it happened. They were just never able to, you know, predict it before it's actual happening. So yep. it's just a kind of funny way to to draw ESP out of that. And uh, some of the, the much funnier moments in the book came directly from the, that situation. I knew you were going to say that. See, exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. So one of the main focal points of, of the story really is once he gets back to city, I guess it's okay to say he, he's a, for weird reasons, becomes a, a candidate for mayor in a, in a recall election. And, um, and so a couple of the characters that we're introduced to is what he calls uh, CM, which uh, stands for campaign managers. And it's two people who kind of act almost identical. They're not, I don't think they're twins, right? But they just kind of act exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Correct. I had, I kept imagining in my mind, this is terrible that I went here, but um, in that second matrix movie, there's those two ghost twin guys. Shut up. That's who I, that's who I was imagining when I was reading. That's exactly characters. who I thought too. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and so, uh, you get to see through that kind of how this mayoral election came about and all the weird, corrupt stuff surrounding the politics of city and the CM guys were pretty stuffy and everything, but I thought they were pretty hilarious too. And I just want to say that that scene, uh, when he first meets up with CM and the dad's there and they're in that one building that's, and they're looking at the porn on the screens. That was pretty fantastic. That's what you like, the porn. It added an interesting element. So essentially what you have, what what it did was you've got essentially like a fugitive labeled terrorist in a room with two politicians, a priest, and they're all looking at video screens of live sex acts in a, in a, like a strip club, I guess, basically. Right. Yeah. It sounded more like a general sex club, but yeah, that's uh, now that you put it that way, I guess I didn't think of it in that context when I was reading, but yes, I guess that is rather funny. It's good. That was fantastic. And then they witness a a terrorist bombing. So that was a good scene that really kind of set, I don't know. it, It was playing with, you know, character types and everything. And I don't know. I liked it a lot. So dad, um, has become a priest after leaving uh mother and son, but, um, he kind of comes across as uh, as being a priest more out of convenience than anything else. He's got a bunch of other weird things going on. It doesn't really seem that he lives by, you know, by by the word. He's the only here. He belongs to the only Catholic church in all of city, but he certainly doesn't uh, doesn't practice what he preach. Doesn't practice what he preaches. Right. There you go. Preaches. Peaches like the singer. No. OK. Like like the song. 
Millions of peaches. Oh, you didn't. You didn't just go there. Not that was Sean. <laughs> Sean's like, I'm getting off this podcast. Interview over. <laughs> Sean, thoughts on uh, the father, 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 because he's a priest. Father that became a no, father. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Ed, I liked how um, every time he'd talk about him, it would change. Like it was like father, father, the father, and then it was all hyphenated, and every time he mentioned him it was something different absolutely i agree some of and the it, other best humor came from that and and it would get like more descriptive more antagonistic as the two of them conflicted with each other it was amusing i think tremblay overall did a good job of growing things and changing them as the story went on um the relationship with the father the way that he thinks about, you know, politics and being a mayor and all this stuff, like it all, I, that's kind of a dumb comment. I'm just going to edit that out. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> I also, I, I wanted to mention how through, throughout the book, occasionally either he's telling someone or he's just reliving in his mind. He being the narrator of the story is reliving portions of his childhood. And how, at least it seemed to me, in those sections of the book, life seemed almost normal, like we know it today, rather than the crazy, over-the-top life of the, the quote-unquote present. And I really liked how that was handled. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You it bring up like, a good point. There was there was no comedy in the... In the uh as you said in the, in the past that was all yeah. very very straight there was nothing you know kind of you know funny or jokey about it every time he talked about his childhood he was dead dead serious well yeah and i think the comedy in the in the com in the present day stuff has to stand as contrast to like how just fucked up society has become like since he was a kid and like that's kind of like a defense mechanism right against how overbearing and crazy the government's gotten i think you might be right Sean, did we just totally derail your thought? No. Okay, cool. Um, the only other thing, and again, I, and we don't want to get spoilery, but I do want to say that up until this part, again, you know, the stuff we've been talking about has all been kind of, you know, lighthearted and comedic at times, even if it's, you know, government oppression. There's, you know, lots of talks about ducks and body fluids and these weird campaign managers and all this weird socio-political stuff that's, um, you know, it kind of reminded me of those videos you see overseas where people in parliament get into fistfights, like that type of thing, right? So at this point, after the narrator meets up with, with his father, um, the priest, this book takes a pretty, pretty serious turn. I don't think we want to talk too much about that, but the whole tone just changes. Yeah, that's where I wanted to kind of go was, um, yeah, in, in the beginning, um, and I think, again, it's 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 based somewhat on the fact that like that humor has to be in contrast to the crazy government. And, um, it's kind of making, I mean, obviously by, by having such simple names like city and pier and everything, you're kind of doing like a, like a caricature of, of the type of society that he's depicting. And so the comedy kind of feeds that feeling, but you're exactly right. Once it starts getting serious, the tone fully changes. And I noticed that it was even like, the pace that I was reading at slowed down because it seemed like it was just more to take in and more to digest during that kind of second part 
than um, the beginning of the book. And it is kind of a drastic change. And obviously we're not going to talk about the ending of it. Uh, but overall, what starts out kind of uh, lighthearted, not light, it was light, not lighthearted, and it kind of uh, jokey, irreverent, uh, gets really serious. And, and you really see the heart of a very deep and, and serious and emotionally charged story uh, around that kind of, as time passes, you're, you're seeing more of what happened to the narrator in the past. And as that comes up, you're seeing more of his emotional evolution as an adult and what he used to do versus what he's, you know, kind of grows to do throughout this book. And it's not, I mean, it doesn't take, it doesn't take part over like a long period of time, but still you see a lot of growth in the character and changes in what he would do towards the end uh, that he never probably would have done uh, that the way we saw him in the beginning of the book. I agree. It's uh yeah, I, I gotta say that the tone change kind of caught me off guard, but um, I really enjoyed it. And I really think it, it was, it was definitely um, added value to the book. I mean, I read a lot of satire and it was great for, for its satire portion, but uh, then it got really, really serious. And, uh, and I really liked the serious price. I totally uh, added value to an already good book. You I have off, no Bob? idea what you guys are talking about. Really? Yeah, the the change in tone. Maybe it's just because I got caught up in it that I didn't really like notice. I mean, it just got far more serious. Like, I mean, it, it was kind of dark and and heavy in the beginning, but like then it got more emotionally serious. I think with the stuff. I mean, really, there was a lot of daddy issue stuff, and then um, yeah. also that kind of like heartfelt longing for trying to find his mom and how, how determined he was to find her and stuff like that was a really heavy emotion to lay over what was before that. Not such a heavy story. It's, it's kind of what I, what I felt. Okay. I'll agree with that then. Yes. So, but you didn't, you, you didn't feel a change in like the, when you were reading it. I mean, cause I personally, like I literally read it slower after I hit a certain part in the book. Uh, and I think, I think that's when I really started to read actually a lot faster and get sucked into it was, I think when that happened, because I noticed that I was reading a lot less towards the end, like okay. through, through a lot of the weirdness or whatever, you know, I could remember thinking in part of my brain, Oh, I'm reading a book and this is funny. And then eventually like I, noticed less and less and was just totally focused I guess is what I'm saying cool so I think that's when I got sucked in that's cool we just took it different ways I guess right sure <laughs> uh, a couple things I wanted to bring up um, this is kind of going back to the, the very basic stuff like calling it city and pier and, and farm and stuff like that is there there was all right so there was a group that was introduced towards the beginning of the book called farm animals revolution today. And they were, they were just a group of farm workers who were revolting against farm animals revolution today. They were revolting against farm. So farm animals revolution today was their name. And obviously that, you know, it spells fart. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I mean, in the beginning of the story, you're like, Oh, they're going there. All right. And it kind of fit. You know, the whole thing. I don't know. It had to be brought up because there's a group called Fart. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, did 
and I'm just going to play right along and say um, I don't remember the first or middle name of the mayor, but oh. his initials his initials spelled S. A S Solomon. I don't know yes. if they actually gave him, but they gave the first and second and the first and middle initial A S Solomon. Um, and the... and and the supervisor at farm, his supervisor, uh, barn barn manager, barn manager, BM bowel movement. Yep. Yeah. Wow. You get fluids out of me, still, <laughs> so to speak. Thank goodness. Yeah, I, I not, BM. Not a whole lot has changed. BM was not lost on me. Uh, I guess it was over Livius's head, though. Yeah, the BM thing I totally didn't get. Now, okay, I'm going to bring this up, and it's going to be weird that I'm bringing it up because I'm totally an atheist. But uh, if we're talking about names and themes and names. Uh, the father's name, the, the narrator's father, who was a priest, his name is Joseph. Yes. His, uh, friend at farm, friend and roommate's name is Jonah. Yep. And, uh, the mayor's last name is Solomon. So there's some biblically charged names there too, right? Yes. I don't know about Melissa so much, but she was just a camera person. So I don't think there's any biblical Melissa's. Not that I recall. What was the crazy chick's name? She didn't have a name. She was Duck. She was just Duck, uh, yeah. She was just Duck, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of themes going on. Biblical themes. Scatological themes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What um? What do you guys think was the purpose of, aside from maybe just comedic value... The what do you think was the the purpose of Jonah's tattoo? Oh, um, so Jonah had a face tattooed on the back of his shaved head, um, which were you know there were allusions made throughout the story about you know him being two faced or or anything like that. Other than that, I didn't really get much out of it. Yeah, because I don't think he ever really acted in a very like literal two faced manner at any point during the story. That was really obvious, at least. Sean, we're assuming you had a thought on that. No, I was asking a question. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was. I kind of expected it to kind of to go in that direction, but I don't really think it came to fruition too much, unless you count the fact that he lied about who was paying for his therapy or knowing who was paying for his therapy. But otherwise, no, I didn't really see anything there. Okay. Fair enough. It was interesting. I expected that to go somewhere, and it didn't. So yeah, yeah I'm with you on that. I, yeah, I. That's kind of why I'm asking, because I was wondering if I had missed something. As far as I can tell, I nope. I didn't even okay. catch bowel movement. How do you guys expect me to catch anything else? Well, it's two-facedness. We, we are children, so maybe that just speaks to your age. <laughs> Yikes, thanks. thanks wow. So. <clears throat> yeah, we'll, have to, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll send an email to Mr. Tremblay and ask him to explain himself. That's right. What do I know about the tattoo? Maybe he was just really excited about making a character who had a tattoo on his face. Sometimes a penguin. What's that anecdote yep. that you love? Yes, exactly. Sometimes a penguin is just a penguin. Maybe. Maybe he's a fan of David James Keaton's anecdotes about <laughs> breakfast. Head breakfast. I was thinking that, too, uh, when we started talking about it. Yep. Oh, good old head breakfast. <laughs> 
think that's a pretty good representation about like the the guts of the story. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. We have any kind of other things we want to talk about before we move on to something like quotes? No, I, I think um, I guess the only other thing, and I was going to kind of just talk about in my summation is that um, he, again I mentioned earlier he takes this really you know crazy kind of story overall and and makes it about some really dark and emotional themes and and did that in in such a way that it it didn't seem to contrast even the transition when I said that this book kind of takes a turn it it was it was done in such a way that it wasn't very jarring it just seemed to get more and more serious till towards the end you're reading a book that's just hardcore serious about everything so um yeah for sure that's why it's kind of weird to talk about because we're at the point where like saying too much more is definitely going to spoil stuff and it's too good of a story to really give away some of those good parts there's realistically there's a lot we could talk about about the last like 25 to 30 percent of the book that's got a lot of substance to it Uh, just can't do that because it's kind of the best part of the story and a lot of things kind of tie together and everything so unfortunately we can't go too far into it Um, I'll just say that the way that it leads for me at least throughout the entire story was at least most of the time kind of unexpected I didn't see where it was going too often which was kind of it was definitely refreshing for me Oh, yeah, I had no idea where this book was going at all, at all, at any point, I don't think. (laughs) I would just like to say that Sean has ESP, and he knew exactly where this book was going the entire time. He did. He didn't. Okay. Livius, you want to get this rolling? I've got three quotes, so I don't have a ton to go through. I, um, yeah, I just need a second to get into mine. While you're going, all right, I'll get kicked out. I'll kick it off then. Uh, Later in the book, this is probably two-thirds of the way through the book, our narrator ends up uh, working at a place called Home, which is um, a place that helps the homeless people that are deported to Pier, and uh, his father has something to do with that as well. He ends up doing some volunteer work with a guy who his father calls Quasimodo. He obviously has a hump hump back. He's kind of disformed and everything. And... um, this is his thoughts about the guy's name being quasi or being called Quasimodo. Um, he doesn't seem to mind my father giving him the nickname. I feel like a shit heel whenever I call him Quas, which is his shortening for Quasimodo. But he won't offer his real name, so fuck him. <laughs> it was nice. It was like that nice mix of remorse built in with like a little bit of just like you know, fuck the guy. Yeah, the writing in this is is very um, witty throughout. Um, this is another part I mentioned earlier about his father and the ESP and how I really like that that whole concept that maybe his father has ESP. And this is a uh, third of the way into the book, and uh, this is a uh, again it's a first person narration. So uh, I know his church borders Anout, and it gives me hope we're getting close. He says. I know what you're thinking, kiddo, but we're on the other side of a note. Goddamn ESP bastard. I think his ESP only works to make me miserable. Yeah, I like that. I got one that's actually going to be a little bit long. I guess it depends on how how much I want to read of it. But I just wanted to show uh, a little bit of how the campaign managers, which he calls collectively CM, uh, talk to him. Because it was just a little bit unique. 
so I think this is part of a phone conversation, and I'm just going to ramble it off for a bit. Uh, they say that's the spirit. Then, and, and so essentially, what what's happening is each time he says "then," it's switching to the other person talking. They say that's the spirit. Then, show the camera that fire. Then, you've been like a zombie for the past three days. Then, very boring. Then, very man, very unmayoral. Then. The I just want to find my mommy shtick isn't working then makes you seem weak then and on and on. Like this is about uh, almost an entire page of just quote, then quote, then quote. So it was, it was kind of, it was just weird to read, but I, it was entertaining. And that's, I think part of it, the reason that I, I thought about those two Matrix characters was because they definitely had that kind of back and forth um, dialogue the way it's written on here. And and it seemed very almost dry and matter of fact, even though yeah. it was it was essentially one mind constantly jabbing their finger in his chest. Yeah, just the most like droll, boring, dry people, un- no emotion, just stone faced, but just annoying as shit. Yeah, I think that his use of then to to break those up and not be very specific on which character really gave you, um, you know, I felt like a very accurate sense of being bombarded with people who have an agenda that's not your own. Yep. You just did it very effectively. Uh, This next quote is very short. Actually, I think I have to read a little more just to get uh, a little bit of setup. But the page I have this bookmarked on does remind me of one more thing. We're talking about this dystopian future. What did you guys think of the ad walkers? It was awesome. I thought that was, was really cool. The I was the entire time I was picturing um, the the mascot for the college in the show Community Human. I don't watch that show. You're fired. Um, it's a guy. It have you seen at least um, Green Man from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I declined to comment on the grounds that it may incriminate me. That it may cause him to lose his job for the second time tonight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Sean, it, buddy, you're on your own. Okay. Keep going, though. Uh, Keep it's, going. It's, it's essentially a set of tights that covers your entire body, face included. Right, right. Okay, that's and, what you were imagining. Yes. Oh, wait, wait. So, is it leather with a zipper over the face? Because I know what that is. Okay. No, no. And, of course, you would know. Oh. Uh, no, in... In, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. There, there's a not even a character, but there there's an outfit that shows up in the show a couple times, and it's like this obnoxiously bright green. And um, for the mascot for the show community, it's this really dull, almost dingy white to gray color with like a set of eyes and a mouth like crudely drawn on with like a big Sharpie or whatever. So that's what I was picturing the entire time with a giant electric sign attached to the front set of their (laughs) chest. So I guess an explanation, if, if um, you haven't seen either one of those shows, um, ad walkers (laughs) are, are people who are paid by companies, manufacturers, advertising agencies, whatever to walk around with what I picture to be kind of like large iPads but they do is they corner you and make you watch a bunch of advertisements on the street. And there's like legislation to get them pushed farther back from schools. And it's just this little part of the story that I just thought was, was, was perfect in the direction we're heading in with advertising and 
the assault you go through to get through a checkout line, you know, the assault of questions and things, you know, steps you're forced to go through before you can actually leave a business. It seemed like a, like a, a brilliant way to make the dystopian future of advertising. Yeah. They just fully amplified the idea of aggressive advertising um, and put it like literally in your face, which I thought was really cool. What actually I was imagining, and this is, I'm going to sound like such a douchebag talking about this, but I was, when I was in uh, Eastern Europe, Livius, this will resonate with you. Um, uh, there are groups of um, the pejorative, I guess, would be gypsies, but uh, they're called Roma, which are like basically kind of nomadic uh, people who live in Eastern Europe who are very aggressive about begging for money and stuff. And if they get you in certain situations, they'll, they'll corner you and distract you so that other people can reach in your pockets and take your money and stuff like that. So that's that's the that's the feel that I got off of it. Yep. I could totally see that. But yeah, just, just a wonderful portion of the book and they only come up two or three times. I think there's only really one scene involving them, but I just thought it was just brilliantly, brilliantly thought out. So back to my quote now that I've completely sidetracked <laughs> the show for 10 minutes talking about uh, leather masks. Yeah. If anybody sidetracked it, really, it was me. So <laughs> trying this is... to awfully describe something neither of you have ever seen <laughs> it's theater of the mind we just paint pictures here that's all um this whole first part is just set up for this for this last line but i, I think you kind of need it just to, to see what uh what the last line's really about my father says this out of the side of his mouth and despite the crowd and all the noise i hear it i know what you're thinking but you can't run now kiddo nowhere to go i choose the i will hate you silently technique of non-response <laughs> love that line the the final one that i want to do just illustrates how he can kind of hit you with it just he can just sock you with some really good imagery uh from time to time throughout the book this is towards the end actually it's within 30 pages of the end and um i just like the way that he described what was going on so here goes. My stomach is full of malformed butterflies, their wings stunted or incomplete or misshapen or spotted with malignant growths. And these freak wings flutter spastically, irregularly, or not at all. I imagine they'll die soon, and that's supposed to be a comfort. Very nice. All right, and I have one more. Sean, that's so just creepy, by the way. <laughs> See? <laughs> that's that's what I saw. All right. Well, I'm posting that picture on the... But Sean messaged us a picture of the uh, the weird guy from Community. I'm posting it in the post for this episode in case you don't know what he's talking about. Because once you see it, I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm really glad I didn't send you the link I sent Sean in response. Because yeah, <laughs> that don't. would go on the post, too. <laughs> <laughs> we just can't let Livius do a quote. That's all. This part actually made made me laugh out loud. So uh, the narrator is is on the phone. Um, he's finally gotten access to a phone and he's made a, a phone call to the police department to file a missing persons report. So he's on the phone with whoever on, on the police end. And uh, this starts off with the narrator talking about the police officer he's talking to. He says, your report will be processed in three to five business days. Take down this confirmation number. I dance around the limo, frantically signing my name in the air. My father, Mr. Supposed to be ESP, says, why is he asking for the check? This ain't no restaurant. 
that part actually made me oh, see i didn't that that did not hit me when i was reading it and i think i might have just been like you know glancing over it instead of paying close attention but that's clever as hell i love that and i think that's a, i have a couple more but you know what now that i look at them as much as i love them they're probably a little too spoilery all right, so I think we should do some ramp-ups, maybe give these uh, this, this book some ratings, and then move on. We should let our guests go first. Aw, guys. That's so sweet of you. Um, I think it's a fantastic, almost um, re-envisioning of, of the story from What Dreams May Come, where um, he essentially travels through hell to uh in search of his mother or at least what he knows as love and and i thought that was fantastic and it kind of hit home a little bit with shit that i have going on at right now so with that all being said uh the outlandish wackiness that goes on uh, kind of also was a little reminiscent of um and and this is a little bit of a sore subject uh, a little bit about, or a little bit like um, the raw shark texts, the way it kind of just took a sharp turn every now and then, and shit was unexpected. And um, this time around, I thought that the author earned those sharp turns. And Can I just say was... I love the raw shark texts? Yeah, I know you did. Don't they interrupt the man's wrap-up. Sorry. Anyway, so yes, I think that the author this time around actually earned those sharp turns, and I think it's a fantastic book. Do you have a number of stars you'd like to give it out of five? Four. Livius, what do you got? Um, you know, I, <clears throat> I really wasn't looking forward to reading this book. Okay, so... <laughs> The way this kind of came about, and I think we mentioned a little bit on the uh, on the last episode when we were talking about this coming up, you know, we kind of had a miss uh, with Paul Tremblay before. We said, hey, you know, let us know when you've got something going on, blah, blah. So I get this book and I read the synopsis, which I don't do unless we're doing it for the show. I read the synopsis and I go, Ugh, you know, the last uh, the last, you know, full novel dystopian piece we read was uh, was Rail Sea and that was kind of a piece of crap and reading this crazy synopsis and I'm really not thinking I'm going to be into this, but I try to keep an open mind. I read it and I, I get into it and it started off kind of wacky and zany, but in a way that I could actually appreciate. And then, like I mentioned earlier, it just, it, it slowly got more serious and then became very, very serious at the end. The writing is really solid. Um, at no point did, did the author lose me in, in the scope of the, the message that he was trying to get across, except for that whole BM, barn manager, ball movement thing that, that, that <laughs> eluded me. And, and that may not have been anything but me being a child. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, and I'm okay with it eluding me. <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, this book became very, very emotional um, later on. And, and a story that started out with people running around in chicken and duck costumes actually, you know, kind of stuck in my throat a couple, a couple of times. Um, the writing is very good. Uh, it's, it's funny enough in parts that it can, you know, it can keep you kind of chuckling, uh, throughout, you know, a good portion of it. Um, and all I could say is I'm really, really glad we decided to read this. I'm going to give it four and a half stars. That's what we get for going, letting Livius go. Not first. He's, he's just throwing more stars than someone. He always has to, 
one up someone with some stars, I think. <laughs> um, all right, so I guess the one of the main thoughts that comes to my head when I think about this book is the word unexpected, um, because I, I really, I kind of knew what I was getting into, but the tone, like the feel of the book, I didn't expect in the beginning, but I got into it and I really liked it and everything. Um, all that oppressive government classism kind of thing uh, was easy to read and, and funny in parts and stuff like that. Um, but then it got serious in a way that was also unexpected. So um, it's a really, really emotional book about family and love and, and loss and stuff like that, which was really cool um, and, and worked magnificently well and I think one of the greatest things about it was that all this kind of big government thing and the mayor mayoral election and all these things that he throws in there that are just crazy over the top didn't matter at all when it came to the heart of the story which was his search for his mother reconnecting with his father who abandoned him and all of these really much more emotional things that were going on in the story so I mean that's always a home run you can build up some crazy, unique stuff, and it'll be interesting, and it'll be nice, you know, um, like set dressing, basically. But once you actually get into the story of a person who, you know, is experiencing loss or loneliness or, you know, look, you know, figuring out what love is like in his life, that's just a home run. And Paul did a great job of this. So um, overall, I think everything, all aspects of the book worked for me. Uh, in, in a big way, and um, I, I'm going to go with Sean. I think this is four stars. Do you guys want me to downgrade my four? You pick on me when I give things four stars. I can downgrade it to four just so we're straight across the board. I think Paul likes you leaving it at four and a half. All right, well, then for Paul's sake, half a point for the cover. I know we mentioned the cover last episode. Oh, God, cool yeah, the that, cover? That, that cover is awesome. All the artwork for the book is awesome. And what I will say... Um, uh, the title we talked about, yeah, the artwork is awesome. And yeah, they're actually, we didn't say it, but there was, um, not a lot, not very often, but maybe four or five times throughout the book, you see kind of propaganda poster style, uh, illustrations, which just were perfect. Uh, but the title swallowing a donkey's eye just sounds like it makes no sense. And it's not one of those just like clever titles. that doesn't mean anything. There is a part in the book and it's not too far along that, that you actually understand what the title means. And that means something to me, too, because if it's not going to be a direct um, reference to a part of the book or like a commentary on an overall theme of the book, I just think it's, you know, gimmicky and stuff. So I'm glad that the story, the title of the book actually made sense. I bookmarked it, but thought it was almost too spoilerish to share. Yeah, exactly. Well, good. I'm glad we all enjoyed the book. Last time we had Sean on, we didn't all enjoy the book. I don't know what you're talking about. Is that a werewolf book? <laughs> it might have been. All right. So that wraps up another fine review. So Mr. Tremblay with a, an average of 4.13 stars for, for this book. Good stuff there. Did you actually do the math? Yes. Nerd. <laughs> I was going to. And I it's actually up. no. And it's actually I didn't because he said if I said I did, someone would call me out on it. It's not. It's less than point. One three, or is it more? Never mind. I'm sick. No, Why it should be one three repeating? Four point one. No, one six. 
All right, the nerd party is over. We have other stuff to talk about. We do, which is what exactly? So uh, we've been going through this uh, little phenomenon about a, a book that we stumbled across recently, and we've been doing a, a series of very unique reviews of that book, uh, FCJR, a book about Caleb J. Ross, and I think we were going to talk to Sean about about that a little bit. So Ferg, you read FCJR, right? I did. I did read it. Um, now, what, what did what did you think of it? Um, I thought it was a a delightful romp. <laughs> delightful romp, Rob. You want to tell folks where people can get the full Sean Ferguson review of FCJR? Yeah, Sean's being coy right now because um, because he's heavily medicated. He's a he's heavily medicated, and B um his his FCJR review uh is in. Uh, and we're going to be posting it up on the FCJR YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash user slash F Caleb J Ross. And that should be going up uh, the day after we record this. So it's going to be Monday the 9th, the 20th, Monday the 20th. It'll be up on FCJR. So you'll see it there. If you're subscribed, you'll see it on Facebook. We'll post it up there as well. Yay! The response to FCJR and, uh, <laughs> Again, as we mentioned, has been amazing, but the response to, to the video reviews has been pretty fantastic. Yeah, those video reviews are turning out to be pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Caleb, we'll too. To... He launched, we haven't talked about this yet, but Caleb has been launching kind of an investigation of sorts. Um, that's what he's calling it, but really all he's doing is posting a link to the YouTube <laughs> videos. <that we're... laughs> oh. <laughs> So, Caleb Ross, detective, you are not. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> My face hurts too much. <laughs> I think he likes it too much. I think he's not insulted enough. I think he's... he's he, it's kind of a, a the terrorist's win moment because we're, you know, we're really just feeding into his ego, I think, at this point. The terrorists win. <laughs> God damn it. Oh. Yeah, the only other thing I wanna um I, I wanna mention a little bit, and we did mention this on our hundredth episode. Um so we're gonna publish an anthology in case you haven't heard. Go back Yay! and listen to episode one hundred. Can I tell you how exciting it was today to get our very first submission? From some fucking nerd, no doubt. Well, we're not going to talk about who, who it was from. I'm sure that person <laughs> might be able to figure out who they are. <laughs> yeah, it didn't take very long um, to get some responses back from that submission uh, call for submissions going out. So pretty crazy that we're yeah, think... it's kind of official. Once we get a submission, that means we can't just be like, oh, just kidding. Psych. So I was going to say, it's like officially a work in progress now. Like we actually yeah. have to read this story, mark it up with red pen, send it back to this poor guy that wrote it. Now you guys are totally screwed. Yeah. Uh, we Now we have to deal with all these needy authors who want stuff from us. Wah, wah. <laughs> it was way better when we just criticized them for what they did. I'm just We're kidding. still going to criticize them for what, what they're doing. That's We're true. We're going to make them fix it now, which oh, is the good. best part ooh, of it. Ooh, that's right. We have more control. But I'm kidding. It's very exciting, and I'm uh, really happy that we're doing it and um, looking forward to seeing 
what kind of we usually get the sneak peek of stories but now we get the sneak 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 peek of stories because we're seeing them before they're even accepted for a book that's true you know you should send a link to your uh, your article on author bios to everybody who's eligible <laughs> required required reading that's right so booked anthology be prepared for us to talk about it all the time um complain about it sing its praises until it's out of print pretty much yeah it's good we're gonna bother the hell out of you guys with it i think i'm gonna make a bio longer than the story i send you <sighs> well we could have a bio word limit like 14. ooh 14 <laughs> it has to fit in a tweet that's right <laughs> <Tweet size> bios <laughs> Ah, uh, that's good stuff. Author of stuff loves dogs. <laughs> the dog, and we'll cut the dogs part out. Right. Loves. <laughs> All right. So, guys, we just went off the air for a minute to have a, a, a booked meeting about our next book, and we just let um, Sean Ferguson pick for us. <laughs> so, Rob, you want to tell him what the next book is? All right. Uh, the next book, and um, this is great because it, it'll let Livius talk about how creepy I can be. Um, the next book is called Tallulah Rising. It's by Glenn Duncan, and it is the sequel to the Glenn Duncan book, The Last Werewolf, which we reviewed in episode number 66 of Booked. He does this all the time, so I don't know if Rob has a life outside the podcast. I mean, I know a little bit that he does, but we're talking about this the other day, and he goes, hey, you know, we were talking about doing Tallulah Rising, you know, whatever it was, four or five weeks ago, blah, blah, blah. And something came out about The Last Werewolf, and he just, out of 100 episodes, just pulls a number out of thin air. And he's right pretty much every time. So I don't <laughs> know if he studies, if there's a graph where he, like, memorizes. Like, I remember episode one was three seconds, and episode 100 was an interlude in, in between. <laughs> I don't really think I could pick what, what any of those episodes were. Um it's funny, too, because we were hanging out the other time that recently this happened. We we're hanging out with Josh Deach, um, who wrote Strangest in the Proportion. And we were talking. It came up the episode that we talked about, whatever that we talked about his book. And I said, I'm pretty sure that's episode 55. And then I second guessed myself. And I was like, I don't know if it was 55 or 56. And then we looked it up and 55 was where we reviewed his book. 56 is where we interviewed him. If nobody else got that, we were hanging out with Josh Deach. How cool is that? I don't think we mentioned that on the last episode. And where? That's the cool thing is we were hanging out with him at um, the Volo Bog. Volo's a town near uh, where we live. And a bog is like a swamp for anybody who doesn't know what a bog is. And uh, we went to the actual like exact location in that bog that was an inspiration for one of the scenes in his book. One of the creepiest scenes in the book. So uh, I think that's the first time Booked has gone on location to a scene with the author that inspired a part of their book. Sean, how goddamn cool is that? That's amazing. He doesn't care. Sean <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't care. care. <laughs> he doesn't care. But I will say this. I think we might have convinced Mr. Deach to join us in Boston. Yeah, he's living in Montreal right now. So uh, a jaunt down to Boston is probably about a five hour car ride. Very uh, cool. I was uh, I'm, I'm sorry I was lost in the in the whole the on the record off the record change in Rob's voice is amusing oh yeah yeah are you saying he just is sounds that, like a goddamn prick when we're not on the show was that off the record Sean or is it on the record oh that's on the record oh, damn it. Sure. 
<laughs> All right. I don't know how to res- respond to that. He's saying you have you have sexy voice when you go on uh, when you go on air. I think that's what he's getting at. So, at any rate, the whole point of that was um, just to talk about uh, Tallulah Rising, our next book, picked picked right here by Sean P. Ferguson. Word. Hand picked. You're welcome, bitches. <laughs> All right. Uh, unless well, there's going to be that or Fifty Shades Darker. Those are the choices we gave him. So he said uh, he said he thought Tallulah Rising was erotica, so he picked that instead. He got confused by the word rising. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we got anything else, I think we're ready to ramp things up. I love you guys. <laughs> well, that's like the perfect soundbite. Sean, thank you. What are you talking about? I've given you so many. How many times have I left you to just... How many? Go on. Oh, uh, messages like voice yes, messages. Yeah. Uh, there's at least four. I think it's about 14 minutes of 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 footage that we haven't footage. 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 We had this 14 minutes of audio. Network. Yeah, it's not footage. Uh, um, inchage. Oh, that's a that's an inside joke from LA. Audio. Um, 14 minutes of audio of Sean just <laughs> just calling up and talking about. Oh, what was the one you were talking about? Someone leaving like furniture out on the lawn, and then like. Oh, well, we played all of that. Well, you that, played that all that. Oh, that's from the okay. There's so there's more of that kind of just like mind dump, like <laughs> Sean's crapping his mind out into our voicemail. You know, Sean, Sean, <laughs> Sean called me one day on the phone, and I answered, and I could hear the disappointment in his voice because I know that all he wanted to do is leave a really rambling voicemail, and said, "I'm like, hello." He's like all confused. Like, I don't know what to do now. I got to make some shit up. I need a reason to have called. Um, Anyway, give out that number in case anybody else wants the call. And I've given you um, one of those openings, too, that you still have yet to use. (sighs) Assholes. (sighs) Well. And you claim to love me. It's just it's waiting for the right book review to go in front of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I guess Fifty Shades probably would have been one of them. <laughs> Do you remember? No, I know, I know. You guys love David James Keaton more than me. I get it. It's fine. Oh God! I'm... Why do we have to choose? It's like Sophie's choice. It's fine. <laughs> it's a lot like Sophie's choice, I'm sure. <laughs> Rob. Should we uh, should we give out the number in case someone other than Sean wants to call? All right, we can do that. Um, if you want to leave a rambling voicemail, Sean Ferguson style. Um, oh, what's the episode? You can go back and listen to our call-in episode. It was our anniversary episode, um, which I won't know the number for. April first. The April first episode, which I'm guessing is probably what like in the '80s, '87 or so. We took a little break to figure out what episode it was, and it was episode uh, number 78, which was our review of the Christopher Moore book, Sacre Blue. So if you want to see what kind of crazy stuff Sean Ferguson did, then call in and do something even crazier, if that's possible. Um, You can call us at area code 424-242-2069. Leave us a voicemail. If it's entertaining enough, we'll play it on an upcoming episode. Or, Or they won't. Or they won't play it ever. Or the other option is that we won't play it ever. No, we we will we'll fly to LA with a bunch of people and play it and laugh where no one but us can hear it. 
<laughs> oh, you assholes. That's right. We could we could always fly to the West Coast, sit in a room with you know, 12 of our closest friends and just listen to it over and over and over again. Maybe that's what we'll do. So give us a voicemail and find out what we do with it. Sean, we didn't do that, by the way. We didn't play our voicemails in L.A. Whatever. I'm just going to sit here. And no, we called rest. you in the middle of the night. Yes, you certainly fucking did. Were we drunk? I apologize for waking you up. Oh, he was fine. at work. Weren't you at work? One time you guys actually woke me up. Uh, it was actually quite convenient because I had slept through my alarm clock. But the other time at, at, at three in the morning time wasn't <laughs> so convenient, but Uh-oh. it it was quite enjoyable and it meant quite a bit to me. So we love you. I we love do. you, too. All right. So leave us a voicemail if you want to. You don't have to. It's kind of weird to randomly tell you to. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when we get guests like Sean on. We just start doing weird stuff. Um Anyway, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this uh, book review episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. I'm Livia Snedden. I'm Sean Ferguson, and I want attention. It's it's a reference to the book we just reviewed. Come on, guys. Oh, say keep reading, Sean, so we can get out of here. And keep reading. Thank you. Thank you.